the Psalm 131, and we'll just read from the first verse of the Psalm. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let his Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts afresh. Now we've been looking at the Psalms of Degrees or the Psalms of Ascent that were sung by the children of Israel as they made their way up to Jerusalem in the great feast days. And this is a very short psalm. C.H. Spurgeon said of Psalm 131 that it is a short letter that reaches to great heights. And he said that it is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. It speaks of a young child, but it contains the experience of a man in Christ. And you know, we could learn the psalm, I suppose, uh, very quickly. It's a short psalm. But what he means is that the experience of the psalm is one that is hard to learn. In Psalm 131, we have a lesson about humility, a lesson about contentment, a lesson about resting in God's presence. And it is that lesson of resting in humility before God that is one that is very hard for us to learn. The psalm is entitled, A Song of Degrees of David, and this is a psalm of David. It's one of four in the songs of degrees that are uh, psalms of David, Psalm 122, 124, this one here in 131, and then Psalm 133 are all psalms of David. And the commentators would suggest perhaps two occasions when maybe the psalm fits in. The first was when David was fleeing from Saul, when David was uh, uh, repeatedly accused of ambition, that he was uh, seeking to take the throne from Saul, and Saul was against him. And then the other occasion is that time when David um, uh, danced or um, sort of swayed or uh, before the Ark of the Covenant. Remember Michael, his wife, um, she thought he was vulgar and undignified for what he did in the midst of that. But whatever the occasion, it is a, a beautiful denial of pride and arrogance and selfish ambition. Now, last Lord's Day, we were thinking about the uh, trouble that we have with unbelief and about the way that it hinders the work of God. And one of the things that we said about unbelief is that it causes anxiety. And surely it does when we are not uh, walking with God and fixing attention upon God. It brings in all sorts of anxiety and worry because we're depending upon ourselves and we're depending for ourselves to get through. And that's really what we are learning here because here's a man in pride and really unbelief. He's depending upon himself and uh, when uh, the psalmist has learned to be humble and to rest in God and to believe in God, 
And when we do that, there is that contentment about us. So here's a very short psalm, but I want you to see that we have a threefold insight into the psalmist's mind and heart and how he finds contentment and rest in the very presence of God. And I want to just think about these three insights into the heart of the psalmist this evening. And first of all, I want you to see, as we look in the heart of the psalmist, we see that there is a message of humility. Look at verse 1 there. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Many have suggested that this is a sort of prophetic commentary upon what the Lord Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are the meek. And there's a marked childlike tone of simplicity here. He's uh, saying, I have experienced this. I have come to the place where there is humility. And humility, of course, is a vital characteristic of the child of God. When we're preoccupied with climbing the ladder or when we're uh, trying to get to the top, very many of God's people, uh, their testimony has been ruined in the matter. But you'll see, the psalmist says in verse 1, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Now, when we read that, perhaps we wonder to ourselves, is that a way to be humble? You know, it's like the person who says, well, I'm the most humble person that there is. I'm the most humble person in the world. There's not much humility about that. And we might wonder here as the psalmist, really, you could think that maybe he's boasting in his humility, and really he's denying his humility and boasting it. But I want you to see that that's not the case here, because he's not boasting, you know, he's not going out and telling others, oh, how wonderfully humble I am. What he is doing here is he's speaking to God. He's telling the Lord uh, that he's been taught this lesson in humility. He, he, he knows it was a hard lesson to uh, learn, but he's not boasting to others. He's talking to the Lord. You'll see that the, uh, the psalm begins with the Lord, word Lord, and that actually is first, that's the first word in the Hebrew of that psalm. And there's the focus. He's focused upon the Lord. Lord, this is where I have come to. Now, even there, perhaps we might um, think to ourselves, I, I can't boast before God. I can't uh, come and tell the Lord how humble I am. But here's the psalmist. And he looks, he's really looking into his heart. He's look, really examining himself. And he knows that at least he has learned something of a lesson. And you can see that he knows about the source of pride. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty. And we know that the heart is the problem. It's not the outward. It's not uh, something that comes. This uh, selfishness, this pride that comes, this haughtiness. The word haughty means they're tall or lifted up. It's the same word that was used of Saul when it says in 1 Samuel 10, verse 23, he was higher, that word, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upwards. 
and where it's used here, it means, it means just haughty, proud, lifted up on high. But here is, he knows the problem, the problem's in his heart. And we know that the problem, too, is in our heart. Pride is a sin. We know that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It says in Proverbs 18 and verse 12, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. But I wonder tonight, as we look into our own hearts, can we say, like the psalmist, my heart is not haughty. You know, we look at ourselves sometimes, we can think of the indicators of pride. Maybe we get irritated when we're corrected for mistakes, or maybe we refuse to admit mistakes, or maybe we refuse to take counsel from other people, or maybe sometimes it shows itself in competition with other people, or some uh, we, uh, um, we want uh, good for ourselves more than for somebody else. Pride that enters into the heart, and how destructive pride can be. It says in Proverbs 16 and verse 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Uh, Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. So you see the problem. It's in the heart. It's a heart problem, and it needs to be confessed to God. But not only do we see the source of pride in the heart, but I want you to see the show of pride, because he says, nor mine eyes lofty. And now he fixes upon the eyes, and where he speaks about the eyes being lofty, it means that the eyes are upwards, like a person who has his nose stuck in the air. It's the same kind of expression. Uh, we think of somebody that um, thinks everybody's beneath them, that they are raised high, they're lifted up, the word is the word that was used of Moses when he lifted up the staff. Or where in Isaiah 6 and verse 1, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So this is a person who is high and lifted up, whose eyes are lifted up. And when you think about the eyes, it's the appearance. So this is how we seem to other people. And the psalmist is able to say, my eyes are not lifted up. But you know, we think about lofty eyes. You know, it says in Proverbs 6 and verse 16, it gives a list there of uh, six things. These six, six things, it says, doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the first one of those things that he says that the Lord hates is a lofty look, self-centered, pre- preoccupied with ourselves, and with our own importance and our own abilities. It's really having a high opinion of ourselves. If we were to say what it really is, we would say that here's a man who thinks that he is really above everybody else. But it says in Romans 12, verse 16, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high of things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So we see the show of uh, pride. 
But then also I want you to see the stupidity of pride. Look how uh, David goes on in the verse. He says, Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Now, we said that uh, the uh, verse deals with the heart and with the eyes. And really here, he's dealing with the walk because the words exercise thyself there in the Hebrew actually refers to the walk, to the conduct of life, how we, uh, ex- or how we practice our, uh, in our day-by-day life and the practicalities of the things that we do. And he says here that his walk is such that he's not concerned with great matters. The word there can be translated things too wonderful for me. And really what he's talking about here are the things of God, the mysteries of God. Now, it's a, it's a good thing to have an interest in the things of God. It's a good thing to delve into the Word of God and to glean as much as we can uh, learn about the Lord as he's revealed himself in his Word. But you know, we also need to remember that there are things that are just too high for us, too wonderful. You think of the mysteries of God's providence at times. And you know, we look at things and how the world is going on and what is happening around us. We look at the lives of people that we know and love. We see sometimes sickness come in. We see uh, people pass away or we see things, disasters that take place in the world. And sometimes we wonder why these things are happening and what God is doing. But you know, sometimes there are things beyond our comprehension. We know that uh, there are things that that the ways of God are past finding out at times. And you know, we can spend all our time and in our arrogance, we can think, well, I can delve into everything. We think perhaps, and many people think we can understand all things But you know, it says in Deuteronomy 29 and 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And we don't need to understand it all. We don't need uh, to be able to inform everybody else. We don't need to have a, a grasp of all things. We know that the secret things belong unto the Lord. You remember Job when he was trying to find out his uh, situation and why he was going through the trials that he was. And it says in Job 42 and verse 3, uh, Job was appropriately humbled and he confessed, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me that I knew not. We think of what it says in Jeremiah 45 and 5, Seekest thou great things for thyself, seek them not. And dear friends, we need that humility of heart as we come to the Lord. We need to bow before him and recognize that he is high and lofty. He's the one that inhabits eternity, and we are poor worms of the dust. And if we're going to be contented, if we're going to be in a place where we can rest in God, 
then that's the first thing. There needs to be that humility of heart. But the second thing that I want you to see here, uh, having spoken about humility, David now wants to say something about happiness and contentment. Look at verse 2. He says, Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Now, you notice the repetition again. We had the repetition there in uh, verse 6 of Psalm 130 that we looked at last week. Um, he, He says, My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. And we were said when we looked at that, that that was a poetic device to emphasize what he's saying. And again, this is a poetic uh, device to emphasize what he is saying. He said, as a, a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. And you can see the repetition there. And what he's saying here is that I've learned to be calm. I've learned to be humble, but I've learned to be calm. I've learned to be contented. I've learned to be happy. I have learned just to rest in God. He contrasts what he is from the noisy, disquieted soul. And the noisy, disquieted soul, maybe he's irritable, he's frustrated at times, he's discontented, and his discontentment spreads like a rash and irritates everything that he touches And his whole life is irritated, and his whole life is discontented. But here's a man who has learned happiness and contentment. And you'll notice, if you look at the parts of the verse, you'll see, first of all, that he's learned to be stable. He says, surely I have behaved and quieted myself. And that word, I have behaved, that word behave is a word that uh, comes from a root that really means to be, uh, to be level or to be smooth or to equalize. And what he means is that he's got himself in a, a level place. He's got himself in a stable place. He means he's not unbalanced. You know people that are unbalanced and uh, they run after one thing and uh, maybe their lives... Um, are, are upside down because they've got themselves unbalanced. Uh, they are running after the wrong things or running after something exclusively. Rather than having that balance, everything in its right place, everything leveled off. And here's the psalmist and he says, I've come into this level place. I've got myself into a place of balance in many ways. And how do we need to be have that balance in our lives. We have to have the right priorities. It says, uh, the Lord said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The picture here really is in many ways like the person out on the choppy waves, and they don't have balance. They're not level because the waves are battering them all along the, the way. Uh, and uh, there are waves upon the surface of the lake or the sea or the, the pond. And he's saying that's what pride does. It gets you out of balance. It gets you out of stability. So when we're humble, 
It leads to stability. And then, not only does he learn to be stable in verse 2, but he learns to be still. Look at what he says. Surely I've behaved and quieted myself. That, that word quieted means motion, motionless or silent. It means that he's learned to be still. And here's a man who learned to be serene. He believes God in God, and he's willing to put everything in the hands of God. And that's where so much of the anxiety that we face and so much of the upheaval that we have in our souls is dealt with when we learn to be still. It says in Psalm 62 and verse 1, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, for, for from him cometh my salvation. We think of Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And there we are, we are serene, we are still in the presence of God. We have learned to be humble, we have learned to be stable, we learn to be still, and then we learn to be satisfied. Because he says, as a child is weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. And what's a weaned child? Well, a weaned, a weaned child is happy. Now, you think of what the um, picture here is. James Montgomery Bo Voice, Boyce, in his commentary, says this. When David says that his soul is like a weaned child, he is not saying that he has always been content with God or even merely that he is content with God now. He's reflecting on the difficult weaning process in which a child has broken off its dependence on its mother's milk and is taught to take other foods instead. Weaning is usually accompanied by resistance and struggle on the child's part, even by hot tears, angry accusing glances, and fierce temper tantrums, and it is difficult for the mother. But weaning is necessary if the child is to mature. David is saying that he has come through the weaning process. He has learned to trust God to care for him and provide for him, not, as, not on David's own terms, but in God's terms. So there's the picture. You can see what he's saying here. He's like a, he has been like the child going through the weaning process, and that has been difficult. Uh, perhaps the, the child, perhaps it's the first um, real stress and strain it goes through, going through the weaning process. And it is a process in which there's hot tears and so on. But when the child comes through that and learns to take the solid food and learns uh, to be able to feed itself, there is a contentment in that. There is something that changes in the, uh, in the little child. And now, he begins to mature. This process is needed for maturity so that in the end he's able to provide for himself. And that's what David is saying here in this portion of Scripture. He's come through all the difficulties. He's come through all the trials that God has put him through in order to bring him to maturity. But now that he has learned these lessons and now that something of maturity has come into his heart, now he's content. He's calm. He's happy. 
He's willing to rest everything in God. He's willing to leave all of the difficulties and the trials that he faces in the hand of God. And he is calm. You think about the psalmist, or Isaiah said in Isaiah 57, but the wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest, whose water whose, uh, water's cast up mire and dirt. But then he says, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. So the wicked have no rest. Those that don't depend on God have no rest. They're like the troubled sea. They're not stable. They're not still. They're not satisfied. But the child of God who has come to maturity, has all of those things. He's able to rest in God. So we see something of humility and something of happiness or contentment. But then the third thing I want you to see in the psalmist's mind here is hope. Look at verse 3. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. And he says here, that he is going to hope in the Lord. And we think of uh, the same thing is actually at the end of uh, Psalm 130. If you look at verse 7, he says, Let his Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. So David closes both of these psalms, and he uses the language of earlier psalms of ascent, uh, Psalm 121 and 125 and 130 all speak of this hope in the Lord. Now look at what this hope is. It's divine hope. Let Israel hope in the Lord. Uh, Hope thou in God, he says. Let Israel hope in the Lord in Psalm 130. And here is the source of hope. There's no other source of hope. Uh, Our hope is in the Lord above. We have no other hope. Our, our, our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Our hope tonight is in the Lord. It is divine hope, but also it is diffusive hope. He says, let Israel hope in the Lord. It's not just him that is going to have this hope. All Israel is going to have this hope. So this is a hope that is strong enough, not just for him, but for all around. And the Christian's hope is one that spreads to those around. The psalmist here is really saying that, uh, he says, let Israel hope in the Lord. Let, let, let all of the people, let all my friends, let all my neighbors hope in the Lord. And he wants this hope to spread to others, and surely so do we as we come. It's diffusive hope in what it is to spread. But then I want you to see it as practical hope. Look at what it says, from henceforth, and that means from now. It starts with whatever actual circumstances he was in, it starts from henceforth, from now, just from now. You know, sometimes we might think, well, I should wait to hope in God or to rest in God or to be still in God until I get myself sorted out of this problem or that problem or the other problem or I get myself out of this hole or this difficulty that I'm in. 
But no, the psalmist says, we hope in the Lord from henceforth. We hope in him from now. No matter what difficulty we may be in, we hope in God. Then it is eternal hope, he says, from henceforth, even forever. And that's the watchword of the psalm. He picks up on Psalm 121 and Psalm 125. Psalm 121 says, The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Or Psalm 125, verse 2, As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forevermore. And thank God this hope is not going to come to an end. It's not going to be diminished. It's not going to uh, 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 begin to dissipate somewhere along the line. This is forever. This is something that we can put our whole trust and hope in forevermore. And then it's present hope. He, he means now. We trust God now. And David began the psalm by addressing, the, by, uh, addressing God, O Lord. And now he is uh, addressing Israel. And he's really saying, stop looking at yourself and let's look to others. But here he is and his hope is in the Lord. So Psalm 131 really is a simple and a very profound truth. Those who practice humility before the Lord will become stable, they'll become still, they will become satisfied, they will have happiness. Humility will lead to happiness, and happiness will lead to hope. And uh, as you know, hope in the Bible is more or less the same as certainty. We have certainty in God, and that brings happiness and that brings stability when, when we have that great confidence in our God day by day. So we can live in hope and we can pray in hope and, and still define hope as biblical hope, which is certainty. We can pray in certainty because uh, he uh, looks after us from henceforth and even <coughs> forevermore. And all that we might learn to trust in our God this evening. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Well, let's just unite our hearts before the Lord at the throne of grace in prayer. And uh, we, could I ask you please to remember our sister Maureen tonight. She's been moved back to the Ulster Hospital she hasn't been too well over the last uh, day or a couple of days, really, or so. And uh, William has asked if you would pray uh, that they will get to the bottom of the problem and be able to get uh, some kind of treatment for her. So uh, we want you to really remember mooring tonight before the Lord. Remember those things that we mentioned on the Lord's Day, um, the desire of the government to introduce um, RSE or Relationships and Sexuality Education. Um, the Prime Minister during the week um, has said that he will tighten up on 
RSE. He said that there was a lot of inappropriate age, inappropriate material. So there is at least admission that this has been going wrong. And yet, uh, because of a UN body, the um, uh, campaign on the elimination of discrimination from women, that was the same body that um, uh, called for abortion to be introduced in Northern Ireland. When we went to meet the Minister of State um, uh, a few years ago, that's what he said, we have to do what CEDAW, as they call it, has said. And CEDAW is saying that RSE needs to be introduced in Northern Ireland. And we think of these outside bodies in the name of um, human rights. They are seeking to introduce all of these uh, human wrongs. And we uh, need to pray that God will safeguard and uh, safeguard the teaching of Christianity and Christian worship in our schools as well, our primary schools in particular. And we need to pray that God will intervene and turn the tide in these days. And we need God to step in and to bless. So let's just unite together, please, and let, let's uh, seek the face of the Lord one by one. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we turn to thee afresh in our Saviour's name. And, O oh God, we do remember our sister Maureen tonight. Be with her in the hospital, give her ease. We pray that thou wouldst make the pillow easy for her, and we'd ask that thou wouldst uh, begin to uh, uh, make that healing process. We pray that thou wouldst begin to uh, work uh, thy healing touch in her body. We pray, Lord, that thou wouldst enable the doctors to be able to get to the bottom of the problem. We'd ask thee for uh, the right treatment, and thou wouldst undertake for her. Remember William, and remember the family circle, remember Philip and Sharon and their families, and we pray, gracious God, that thou wouldst uh, undertake for them. Remember William, in the midst of all the worry of this as well, and be with each one of them, and draw near to them, we pray of thee. We ask thee, Lord, that thou wouldst help and bless in these days. We thank thee that we have a God to whom we can always go, and we thank that we can bring our needs to Thee at the throne of grace in prayer. And our Father, we thank Thee for the great comfort of prayer, the great um, confidence that we have in our God tonight. We're like the psalmist, and we want each one of us to be able to hope in the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that our hope might be founded in Thee tonight, and that Thou wouldst come and meet us at the point of our need. Bless on the Lord's Day. Bless in the Young People's Fellowship on Friday and all of the meetings. Remember the Sunday School, the Bible class, and the meetings have just taken place. And remember us for good in these days. And help us to glorify thy name. And help us now in the place of prayer. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. <laughs>